This is the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I am the uh, shreds of angry Melissa Treepwasser. And we have a... Shreds of remaining. <laughs> we have so much to get into on this Tuesday evening. We waited a day to record, not because of scheduling, definitely, but definitely because we wanted to hear what Gary had to say at his press conference this afternoon regarding the quarterback situation, because I think the most pressing question for this football team and for TCU fans at this point, Melissa, is does TCU even have a quarterback at all anymore? We're going to get into all of that on this episode. We're going to get into just a little bit TCU's loss this past weekend to Oklahoma State and the frustration that that was. It is hate week because we play Baylor on Saturday. We're going to talk about that game. We're going to go around the Big 12. We're going to talk about some other things as well. A very, very quick basketball preview. We're going to get to Twitter questions and predictions and all of that other stuff on this episode. So make sure that you listen all the way through. How does that sound, Melissa? Uh, yeah, or or just, just quit now because that's kind of where I'm at. My mental state around TCU football isn't great. And that's not just because Gary blocked us again on Twitter. It's I mean, that's not helping, but... You know, there's just a lot going on. I am, I am uh, very, very glad that we waited till today to record, but also uh, kind of wish we could have talked about all this before we knew the news that we now know. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just jump right into that. Here's the situation. We're just going to kind of run down the list of TCU's quarterbacks, and I'll say a little bit about what's wrong with each of them at this moment in time. Does that sound good? Sounds great. All right. This is going to be a very uplifting time. Max Duggan, TCU starter, true freshman, broken finger on his throwing hand, suffered it late in the game against Oklahoma State. It resulted in backup Mike Collins coming into the game. Mike Collins, the pen transfer, who salvaged portions of TCU's season last year before getting hurt, eventually going down for the season with a foot injury that he had surgery for in the spring. He has a lacerated kidney, suffered in the game against Oklahoma State as well. So he is down for a couple of weeks, Sounds bad. if not the rest of the season. So that would mean that Alex Delton, grad transfer from Kansas State, would be the next man up. Except he is frustrated with the quarterback situation at TCU and has decided to leave the program effective Sunday. And so he is no longer an option because he is not in the quarterback room either. Justin Rogers would be next on that list, but he announced a transfer last week. He is in the transfer portal officially as of Tuesday afternoon. So he is probably not an option either. You have Ohio State transfer Matthew Baldwin, who is currently medically redshirting. You have then walk-on redshirt freshman Matthew Downing and walk-on redshirt freshman Grant Buchler at the quarterback position. That means, uh, now Gary Patterson said in his press conference today, Melissa, that Max might play on sun- on Saturday against Baylor, but it will be a game-day, game-time decision. I find it very difficult to believe that a kid who just broke a finger on his throwing hand will play seven days later. What would you put the percentage chance at that Mike, uh, that Matthew Downing is starting at quarterback for the Frogs against Baylor on Saturday? Uh, I, I'm going to go 0% because I fully expect, based on what we've seen out of Max Duggan, that he's going to try to go. I don't worry about him being able to play. I worry about him being able to be effective, and that's my concern. Um when you look at who the options are and who's out there, you can tape up a finger and, and play through that pain, especially a kid that's as tough as Max is. But that's not the question. The question is, should you? And I definitely have concerns that he's going to try to go and he's not going to be able to get a good grip on the ball and it's going to do more harm than good to have him out there against a, a Baylor team that has yet to lose in 2019. So uh, I just I don't see – Duggan not finding a way to get out there. I don't know if he'll finish the game, but I fully expect him to start it. Really? I I don't Yeah. I don't see I don't see him playing in this football game. Uh, we saw the picture that circulated on Twitter of his finger getting bent in like two different directions. I if you can't grip a football, you can't throw it. And do you want a kid out there who you know is extraordinarily limited in his ability to even maybe grip the ball like we're not even just talking about his ability to throw it at this point one of his uh what what makes him so attractive at the quarterback position is his ability to run but if you can't hold on to the football you know and he's been a little turnover prone with fumbles so far this year 
like you're setting your you're put, that's a huge risk to put him out there for a variety of reasons. I would be pretty surprised if he played on Saturday. Okay, so here's the next question then. If let's say that Max doesn't play, do you would you rather see walk on uh, Downing or would you rather see walk on Baldwin, who is medically cleared but hasn't done anything for TCU and isn't going to really. I mean, I, I know everyone kind of made a joke about does it really matter if you know the playbook at TCU, but um, <laughs> he really just hasn't hasn't been working with the uh, the first team offense, and it's not going to have a lot of familiarity with with what he's expected to do behind center. I I would go with Downing. I would go with Downing, simply because I think that uh, he, I mean he's been in at least in the system for longer than Baldwin. Baldwin just picked up a football like this week I'm fairly certain for the first time since coming to TCU and he's like finally healthy enough to like do that um and when you think about the long-term future of this program which is what I think TCU has to do in this situation do you want to risk putting a guy out there who's probably not in in football playing shape who hasn't picked up a football in a while and who doesn't know the playbook who is also playing remember behind a backup right tackle and an offensive line that has struggled significantly at times this year or do you play the retro freshman walk on uh, and just you know kind of throw all hope to to the football gods and and see what happens you know it, it may very well end up that you know when we build the bram colehausen and grayson mulestein statues that uh, matthew downing statue will be right there next to them you know you walk on corridor optimism walk on corridor yeah, that's a uh... Wow, you! I'm so glad you're a man of faith because I have lost all of mine this season. Someone's got to keep like, it. Yeah, right? I, I just, I mean, I guess the question comes down to, and, and I know everybody has posited their theories on Frogs of War uh, to the point where I'm getting DMs from people saying they're no longer reading the comments there because things have degenerated so quickly, uh, which I understand. But uh, how did we get to this point? I mean, some of this is obviously bad luck. Some of it is the new world of college football and the transfer portal. But some of it seems like there's some bad juju over there in that program, and I don't know how you fix it. Yeah, it's, it's weird because this is uncharted territory for TCU fans. Uh, and I was talking to someone last night about this, and you know, the question is uh, I think we've really started to encounter – and we've hinted at this a couple a couple podcasts this year. We're starting to encounter this like uh, unstoppable force versus immovable object conundrum. With the unstoppable mm-hmm. force being the ever changing culture and landscape in college football, and the way athletes are being raised, and the way young people um, are being raised in a culture of expectation and uh, a culture of uh, immediacy and immediate um, kind of return on investment versus Mm -hmm. this immovable object of an old school football coach in Gary Patterson, who is very set in his ways, who is uh, at this point, essentially blatantly refusing to change. Um, And, you know, there are, I think it's a growing number of young athletes who cannot play for a coach like him. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, we're getting to this crossroads almost of do we have to adapt in order to survive? Um, and I think you see some assistant coaches maybe pushing for some adaptation and for some growth and for some shifting to adjust to the market. Uh, and I wonder how much uh, of the resistance is really coming from Gary Patterson and coming from his office, because at this point, you know, if I'm Sonny Cumbie, I'm probably banging my head against the desk about this quarterback situation, and it can't have been helpful um, for, you know, his working situation to be yelled at on the sidelines like Patterson was ripping him on Saturday. Uh, and mm-hmm. I can only imagine what those conversations between those two men has been like over the past month and a half. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a really – I think you're absolutely right, and you know we both work with young people, and so we've kind of that's why we've brought this up so many times. I think we, we're seeing it firsthand of of what's coming, and and it, eventually there's going to have to be some give and take here. Um, kids know what they're walking into when they sign up to play for TCU. Like P- Patterson gives no 
like he's never hit, hid who he is, but at the same token, knowing what to expect and then actually living in it are two very different things for an 18 year old. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think, and I, I think if you look to it, the unique situations of each of them, you know, Justin Rogers, we all kind of knew that was doomed from the get go because they just couldn't wait, wait it out for him to get healthy. Um, I think the, the, the Alex Delton transfer is the only one that that's really disappointing to me. Um, you know, as, as a guy who was brought on for his leadership, who was named a captain, who stayed a captain even when he wasn't playing, to get him to leave at this point in the season when it's not like he's transferring, he has no other options. Uh, it, it just it seemed very, very surprising to just kind of quit in the middle and say, hey, I, I'm done. Um, but, you know, with, with the other situations, I, I don't know that there's anything you could have done differently in these particular instances. It does amaze me that there are still people who are saying that if we had played Delton more, he wouldn't have left and thinking that that would have been the best option, though. That, that's what still really amazes me, saying that because he was disrespected at Kansas State is why he left. He wasn't disrespected at Kansas State. He was not a good quarterback. And I think at this point we can all say openly, since he's no longer a part of the program, he was not the right fit in the system. He never was. There were just not other choices. Well, um, he, and so I, I don't know that we would have been in, we would have been in better shape Saturday, but we wouldn't have been better shape this season if he had been playing more from the beginning. He he left Kansas State because he was out of eligibility at Kansas State. Like let's like he couldn't play anymore there. He had to leave to play another year. That's how graduate transfer works. Right. Yeah. And so, like, well, he, he so, no, 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 he could have stayed because he'd only played three seasons. He could have taken more classes at Kansas State and got a graduate degree because he had five. You have five years to play four, well, and he had redshirted, so he could he could have stayed. But he left because he wasn't going to play. He left because he lost the job. Well, he so he he leaves, and the art to your to the second point then that you make, he, TCU doesn't beat Texas if Alex Delton is starting at quarterback. No. TCU. No chance. TCU doesn't compete with Oklahoma State on Saturday if Alex Delton is starting at quarterback, despite the mistakes that Duggan made in that game. Um, yeah. You know, TCU is a less competitive team when Delton is the starting quarterback. That much has been proven over the course of the first half of the season, the first eight games. Um, it's, it's so strange to me that people always continue to question – why someone is starting over someone else when the coaches have the benefit of seeing these guys day after day after day in practice. Like, at some point, fans have to trust the coaching staff. That's really hard to do when a season is going like this one is for TCU. I get that. But the reality of the situation is they wouldn't be starting Duggan if they really, truly, legitimately thought that Delton would be giving them a better chance to win football games. They just wouldn't yeah, be. Absolutely not. That that makes no sense. It would. It you know, it's the same argument that we saw in 2017 at the beginning of the year when everyone was like, Kenny Hill shouldn't be the starter. It should be Sean Robinson. And you wrote that article about how the backup quarterback is the favorite player on a football team everybody wants to see him because he's guaranteed to win more games because he's better and nobody knows why the coaches are sitting them that's that's the argument that everybody wants to make and it's totally illogical because we're on the outside looking in and these coaches have a first-hand understanding of who is best served as the starting quarterback on this program and it's been max duggan all year some stubbornness i think kept that from being the case week one mm-hmm. but it's it, so Delton wasn't going to play much anymore. And that the, the bell, the death knoll for him was in the fourth quarter when Duggan got hurt on Saturday and Collins came in the game. Yep. And, and I think that's when he made the decision to leave. And we heard he had a meeting with the coaches on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was probably, well, I'm never taking a snap here again. Now, mind you, things change very, very quickly when it comes to the health of those guys. But still, that's uh, yeah, I know, the, man. Like I, I, the timing is is odd because of the two injuries that were suffered at the end of that game. You know, that's very frustrating from a TCU fan perspective. Uh, also, it, it really goes against everything that we've heard about Delton to this point, about how great of a yeah. locker room leader he was, how valuable he was in the quarterback room, how much his players liked him. You know, he was a team captain, yada, yada, yada. Um, so it's, it's a conundrum for sure, and we're trying to have to reconcile some of that in our own minds, I suppose, because – we've heard how great of a teammate he is and then things get tough. 
his back is against the wall and he walks away right at the yeah. right at the pinnacle moment where he probably yeah. has his best opportunity of the season since you know week one yeah well and and he's a guy too that you know we talked to him in the preseason who who said you know I want to be a coach I want to be an athletic director and and I think that, that this is going to be a really big learning moment for him and that he's going to have to answer some tough questions at some point with an employer with a player with someone that works for him about, you know, this is how you handled this situation. How do you expect me to handle it on my own? So I, I think I think that, you know, he's he's an older guy. He's, you know, 20, 22, 23 years old, but he's still a young guy. And um, I'm not going to be in his head and, and say that I, I understand how he's going to feel, but I definitely think there'll be a point in his life where he looks back and thinks, man, I could have handled that situation differently. Yeah. So, But at the end of the day, like, what it comes down to, he's not here. Mm-hmm. He's gone. Justin Rogers is, is gone. Uh, these guys are not going to be a part of TCU football going forward. And so, you know, our, our job and the coaches, our job is to root for whoever rolls out there. And the coach's job is to, is to prepare who they have. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are going to say no excuses, next man up. But, you know, once again, we're looking at this uh, situation where we get in the last three, four weeks of the year and we're turning to a fourth, fifth <laughs> walk-on quarterback yeah. to, to lead the charge. And uh, I, I don't, you know, once it's an aberration, twice, I, I think it's a concern if, if this situation doesn't get ironed out going forward, then, um, I, you know, I think that there are bigger questions to ask, but it is, it's a, it's an old school coach adjusting to a new program and a new way of life and trying to figure out how do I make it work for everybody involved. And clearly, uh, you know, TCU hasn't arrived there yet. And there's even a more significant difference too in this episode of going to the walk-on quarterback, Bram and, and Grayson were both, fifth-year seniors yeah. this kid who, Grayson was recruited Grayson yeah. was a three-star high three-star prospect mm-hmm. so Matthew Downing is a walk-on Richard freshman yeah so. now he did play at Georgia he got snaps in garbage time for uh for the Bulldogs last year mm-hmm. and so it's not like he's not ever played in a big moment but he certainly doesn't have the kind of experience that you know, the, the, the mule and uh, that um, uh, Bram had coming into it. So, uh, and, and he's also, their first, neither of their first games were against an undefeated top 10 in the country program. Sure. So, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, like, I, I mean, I guess there's a part of me that if you're a TCU fan that you go, well, maybe it's better that Alex Delton uh, isn't here because there's a little bit more of a, a layer of built-in excuse that things go poorly, but uh, I still like it. I just... Could it not have been? I would have rather this happened before the Texas game than the Baylor game, if we're being perfectly honest. But at the end of the day, this is this is where we are, and, and all we can do is move forward. Yeah, these are the circumstances that, that the team has been telt, dealt at this point. I frankly think it's a fan's responsibility to, to continue to support them at this point. Um, I know a lot of folks are going to probably check out from here on out, and that's, you know, that's their prerogative. Everybody gets to make their own decisions. I'm of the opinion, though, that you – you know, you invest in this program when they're doing well, and you sure. invest in this program when they're not. Um, well, shoot. I mean, <clears throat> when have you had more fun as a TCU fan other than than maybe, you know, winning a conference title or going to the Rose Bowl or going to that Peach Bowl year? When have we ever had more fun than those last four or five games last year? Right. I mean, that was a blast. Watching them beat Baylor and Waco, watching them beat Oklahoma State, the Cheez-It Bowl, like it was not the best football that we played, but it was some of the most fun I've ever had supporting the team. For sure, because you just it was chaos all the time. You never knew yeah. what was going to happen. Yeah. The ball seemed to bounce TCU's way just enough every week. Yeah. Um, and maybe maybe we get lucky this maybe, week. Maybe maybe so. You know, it's a rivalry week. Anything can happen. Records go out the window on weekends like this, Melissa. So. Who, it's true. Who That's what they tell me. Knows who knows what could happen. Let's just spend though for a moment, a couple minutes talking about this this game on Saturday because TCU had so many opportunities to come out of Stillwater with a win. It was it, it's almost gut wrenching how many opportunities they had in spite of the three interceptions thrown by Duggan, in spite of some of the mistakes that were made on offense. They still had the ball in the final few minutes of the game with a chance to at least at least tie it and maybe go for two uh, and come away with a road victory, something that they've only done once since joining the Big 12 when it comes to Oklahoma State and Stillwater. Um, but the biggest, the biggest thing that I took away from watching this game on Saturday was 
Chuba Hubbard, Chuba Hubbard, however you say his first name. First of all, he's a beast. Parker made a really interesting argument on Twitter about him after the game, talking about volume. Uh, And he is a very heavily used running back. His volume, his usage is, is through the roof. But in spite of that volume, TCU actually did a very good job of containing him. You look at his final line and you're like, Jamie, you're a moron. You don't know how to read numbers. You're very stupid. But his two touchdown runs were also his two longest runs of the day. And that equated for 70% of his total yardage on the day. Wow. And his touchdown run, I think it was 92 yards and 62 yards. Mm -hmm. 70% of his his rushing yards for the day on those two runs. Both of his rushing touchdowns for the day on those two runs. Outside of those two runs, TCU held him to 3.9 yards a carry. So it's really, you know staggering that his numbers looked like that but you know eventually a good running back is going to get loose and Oklahoma State was insistent upon getting him the football especially without Tylen Wallace uh, in whose absence Dylan Stoner stepped up and had a phenomenal day well you know it's one of those things where where you look at it's frustrating as, as a fan base of another team because you look at the way that they designed that game plan offensively without wallace and i thought they were brilliant they knew that tcu was going to stack the box so they were going to focus on hubbard and so they started by having a lot of design runs for uh spencer sanders quarterback early and he made a lot of reads but he also there were a lot of times where it looked like to me that they were specifically telling him to keep the ball and to get tcu focus on the quarterback and once they had to start adjusting for him and his running ability because he was super successful that's what enabled Hubbard to to shake loose a little bit later on um I, you know and I, and I think I I've, I've always get really like I don't know how to handle the um other than two big plays CC kept him in check because at the end of the day the dude broke off a 92 yard run and a 62 yard run uh two of the longest in the in the career of Gary Patterson yeah and was the first running back to go over 200 yards so um, it runs like that usually come down to one dude's in the wrong place or two guys run in the wrong place or somebody misses a tackle and there's no safety help, especially when you have wide receivers, even without Wallace, like uh, uh, Oklahoma State has. And, and because Stoner had killed them so much early on, I think those safeties were, were cheating the pass. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, that, that dude made plays and, and Oklahoma State made plays. TCU kept battling back, but... Uh, it never felt as close as it was because every time the Frogs got close, they, they turned the ball over. Um, that John Stevens fumble was an absolute killer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I, think, I think Rager made some great plays and, and looked the part of a superstar. But ultimately, uh, TCU didn't, didn't look prepared to win that game. Still had chances to do it, but never were able to make the plays that they had to to win. And, and Patterson kind of said as much after the game as well. He did. He did. And on the on the Rager note, just a quick injury note here. Rager is fine. He will play. He's a full go for Saturday against Baylor. I know that he, people were worried because he made a really acrobatic catch in the second quarter of the game on Saturday and came up holding his lower back. He went to the locker room for a minute. He is, by all accounts, good to go. Uh, so that should uh, alleviate some of the Frogs' frustrations there. But you're absolutely right. You know, mistakes killed this team on Saturday on both sides of the ball. Um, And when you're an inconsistent football team and when you're working with a true freshman quarterback and a backup right tackle and experience in the secondary that isn't as capable as you hoped they would be this year, you know, you cannot afford as many mistakes as TCU made on Saturday and expect to come away with a win on the road in a conference game. You just can't. And yeah. it's annoying yeah, and not, it's frustrating, not an but, it is, like that. but it is, yeah. it is what it is at this point. It is what it is. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't know that anything is going to change that either. Like, I think that what, that's what we're looking at, whether Duggan is a go on, on Saturday or not, like you're, they're looking at the growing pains of a young quarterback mm-hmm. and it's certainly, certainly concerning to think about how the season is going to end. You know, you're at four and four. You still have to play Baylor at home. You still have to go to Oklahoma. You got to go to Tech. Uh, you get West Virginia at the end of the season, but that's that's a team that looks like it's getting better each week. While while it's it's easy to say that that TC doesn't look like they're improving. They look like they're regressing over the course of the season. Some of that has been in their control. Some of it hasn't. But uh, it's. <laughs> 
I'm with you. Support the team. You know, get to know the guys that are here. Um, but I, I think as TCU fans, not that we can need to accept mediocrity, but we need to be prepared to see things get worse before they get better potentially. Absolutely. Melissa, let's take a break really quickly, and then we'll come back. We will get into the Baylor preview, some keys for the game, uh, and talk about where maybe TCU is going to find those two wins. All right, we are back. Um, Melissa, you mentioned it right before the break. TCU's got four games left, two home games. They're hosting Baylor and West Virginia. And in between those two, they go on the road to Texas Tech and to Oklahoma. With the current situation at quarterback and with what we've seen from these four teams this season, do you anticipate TCU getting two wins in these final four games to become bowl eligible? No, no. Definitely not. Um, I, I don't think you can anticipate that. I, I don't think that, that I would say that there's no chance it happens. Like, I would certainly believe it's possible. It's like we talked about earlier. It's a rivalry weekend. There's there's nothing saying that the TCU can't find a way to beat Baylor. But at the same token, I think anticipating any wins going forward is, is probably foolhardy. Um, you know, winning in Lubbock even at 11 a.m. is, is not going to be an easy feat. And, um, you know, I mentioned before the break that, that West Virginia is a team that's certainly improved, even if they're still not very talented. So, uh, you know, you feel like, okay, if we can take care of business at home, but that's that's not going to be a given. So if, the, if Patterson gets this team to bowl eligible, much like we said at the end of last year, it would be a minor miracle, but for a completely different reason. So if Duggan's healthy, if he plays this weekend and he plays fine, then then I give it a, you know, I give the Frogs a, a decent chance to win. Um, I think they'll beat West Virginia, but I don't, I mean, I don't feel good about going to Oklahoma and, and I don't even feel great about going to Lubbock at this point in the season. Yeah. I, I, eternal optimist speaking here. I, I think they are capable of beating tech and West Virginia. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they go six and six. I wouldn't be shocked if they go four and eight or five and seven. I would be extraordinarily shocked if they were seven and five or better at this point. Sure. I think that's fair. So, um, you know, it's dealing with the reality of what this team is right now is, you know, trying to come to come to some sort of conclusion about how, you know, how can I support this team and with the understanding that they may not win another game this year. And how do we how do we deal with that moving forward when in the midst of what could possibly be a four and eight season? you're dealing with some turmoil that you've never dealt with before from a coaching perspective, at least under Gary Patterson's leadership with his assistance mm -hmm. and, and his, the consistency that he has been for this program, um, the constant that he has been. Uh, I think that adds another layer of difficulty for TCU fans as we approach the offseason, potentially missing out on a bowl, potentially looking for a new offensive coordinator, because I don't, I don't think Sonny Cumbie makes it through the end of the season. And, um, you know, kind of the question, the big question of where do we go from here? Yeah, I, I mean, it's not a it's not a pleasant thing to think about, because like you mentioned, it's not something that we as TCU fans have really had to worry about. Even last year when things were ugly, I don't think anybody was really calling for for anybody's head. I mean, Cumbie questions were were around, but the same token most people said ah it's transition year quarterback injuries blah 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 kind of willing to give him another chance but but when you you know same story different season it, it gets harder and harder to want to give people chances and so uh I, I mean i agree with you i don't think there's any chance Cumbie's back next year but but this hire becomes as critical as the the Cumbie meacham hire was in coming into 2014 like if you just go and you know, promote somebody from within, or I, I've been team, you know, f bring Justin Fuentes back. But, but even that, like, I think it kind of tells you the direction of where Patterson wants to go going forward. And I don't know that that gets the fans back on board um, in a way that excites people. I think like it would be consistent and it'd be, you know, par for the course with Patterson, but it's not a sexy hire per se, which I think most people would kind of like to see the frogs step out of their comfort zone and, and do something that shows that they're willing to move forward in college football as opposed to kind of being stuck in neutral. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you know, the fr sometimes cliches are cliches because they have significant truth in them. And the cliche of, uh, if you're not growing, you're dying seems to be apropos yeah. in a situation like this. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's and and it it it, it does it does feel like not that TCU is dying by any stretch of the imagination, but it does feel like it's time to kind of do some graphs and trim some stuff and, and see what other options are out there to, to bring in a crossbreed and plant something new to really take that metaphor deep. Right. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah, it does. It, 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 I'm in a dark place. Yeah, I can, I can tell. And it's hard not to be frankly in, in a situation like this, but let's, um, put aside the lamenting for just a moment and talk a little bit about eight and no Baylor ranks number 11 in the AP poll, number 10 in the coaches poll, the college football playoff poll drops for the first time tonight. So we'll see kind of where they stack up with everybody else when that poll is released. But my question is how impressive is Baylor's eight and no season actually at this point? And I ask that because if you look at Baylor's schedule to this point, they beat SFA UTSA and Rice in non-conference. So that's three of their wins. They beat a, pr- a pretty bad Texas Tech team with the backup quarterback at home. They beat a West Virginia team that's in transition at home, and they struggled. But at the same time, they beat Iowa State, who is currently 5-3. and three. They went to Manhattan and absolutely shut down Kansas State. Uh, and they went to Stillwater and blew out Oklahoma State in the fourth quarter to, to win that game running away. So we've seen, even in an 8-0 and team, kind of a Jekyll and Hyde almost at this point with the way that they've struggled against teams like West Virginia and then gone in and performed uh, incredibly well against the Kansas State and Oklahoma State team. What have you made of Baylor to this point in the season? You know, I, I think it's a – it's a team that, that does the most important thing that a football team can do and that finds ways to win. Um, I don't think that they're the most talented team in the Big 12, and I think that'll be borne out when they play Oklahoma. And depending what version of Texas they get, we could see it there as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, they're veteran. They're experienced. This is a group of guys that have been together for a long time. They're extraordinarily well coached. I think you could argue they're right now as as well coached as any team in the league when it comes to all three phases of the game. Mm -hmm. Their defense is improved. Uh, They're better than good enough on that side of the ball. Uh, Special teams still has some questions, but man, they've made clutch kicks when they've needed to. And offensively, I mean, Charlie Brewer maybe has regressed slightly, but he, the dude's a gamer, and he he continues to make plays when the team needs him to. And so, in that that aspect, you know, he's he's been really really effective and efficient for them. Uh, they're not a great football team, but they're a they're a team that can beat anybody, and they aren't gonna they're not gonna make mistakes. They're not gonna lose the game. They're they might get out talented, but they're not gonna they're not gonna cost themselves the game. Uh, they're going to make you actually beat them, and that goes a long, long way in the Big 12 this year. It really does, and I think your note about Brewer is right in that his stats aren't going to be what they were for his sophomore season, but it has been really interesting to see him from his freshman year to his sophomore year to now just with his decision-making and with his um, timing and just his understanding of defenses because he has done a great job this year of limiting his own mistakes. And it's that's, it goes back to what, exactly what you just said about Baylor makes you beat them. They don't um, make the mistakes that allow you to like get the win. You have to go out and perform at a high level uh, to beat them um, because they're going to be what they are. And that is a team that moves the ball really well on the ground with two running backs that are rushing at almost seven yards a clip. Uh, and then Denzel Mims can take the top off of you at wide receiver. He is a legitimate number one receiver. I wrote it in my quick look. He's not the best number one receiver that TCU has seen to this point in the season, but he is more than capable of being disruptive to a secondary, and TCU's secondary has shown that they are uh, maybe even more prone to being exposed by the big play this year than in years past. And so that's something of concern, I think, for TCU. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And, and look, the way that the schedule bears out, too. I mean, Baylor's in a great position. They control their own destiny completely eight weeks or eight games into the season. They get Texas at home. They get Oklahoma at home. Uh, they are fully in the driver's seat to win a Big 12 title. Um, that, that's not – I mean, that's not out of the question for them. And so, really, they'd have to completely blow it to not at least get to the championship game. And so, you get past TCU this weekend – 
you have two, two, three really challenging games remaining, but you're gonna, you're potentially gonna be favored in every game you play from here on out, except for Oklahoma. And even in that game, you know, you're playing them at home, and we've seen how vulnerable the Sooners are. Vulnerable in that they lost, they lost one game, and things kind of fell apart for them in the first half of that game. I. I mean, Jalen Hurts is still a Heisman candidate in my eyes, and that offense is still a machine. I mean, even in their loss to Kansas State, they put up 40-plus points. Um, I. But but their defense, you know, I think everyone got really excited about their defense until they until they got beat. And so the maybe maybe vulnerable is too strong of a word, but we've seen that there's a recipe to get past them and that you can score points. And we know Baylor can score points. And we know they play really, really well at home. And they've, they've developed a really great home field advantage. And now that they're talented and they have a little bit of depth, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're dangerous. And living in a world where, you know, we're, we're looking at Baylor is far and away the best football team in the state of Texas is uh, really, really sad. I mean, really great for them, and I'm happy for them. Matt Rule's a great guy. What else am I supposed to say? I don't know, but uh, I, oh, Gary Patterson. Gary Patterson's fat, right? Like that's the other Patterson. thing we're supposed to add in every sure. time. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, sixty-one fifty-eight. I think I covered them I all. I think you did. But here's the thing too about Oklahoma's defense, and this is this is a little bit off topic, but yeah, they gave up forty-eight points to Kansas State. I think it's also highly possible that Kansas State just peaked that day, because you go back and you look. That's the that's one of two games this year where Oklahoma has given up more than twenty-seven points in a game. Yeah. And the first, the other one was Houston. They gave up 31. They gave up 14 to South Dakota, yeah. 14 to UCLA, 16 to Tech, 20 to Kansas, 27 to Texas, 14 to West Virginia. So like the outlier, okay, you, Kansas you, State is the outlier. Yeah, but the there. But the outlier is also the only like I mean Texas is a, is a fine team, but that's also the outlier's only good team. Have you seen? I, mean, I don't think any, any of those other couple weeks though. Have you seen what their offense is doing lately? Uh, I think when they played UCLA versus what UCLA is doing right now, uh, very, very different scenarios. I mean, the UCLA that they played at the beginning of the year was the UCLA we saw last year. And that wasn't anything to be overly enthused about off offensively. But yes, uh, you, you're right. I'm, I'm being unfair. I should give them credit. Um, this is a much better team than it was a year ago uh, defensively, for sure. Um, but I'm still not completely sold that this is a deep, I, I don't know. I think Baylor's going to put points on them, but but that's neither here nor there. The question is, are we going to put points on Baylor, or is our defense going to keep Baylor from dropping thirty on us? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question, and that gets us into the keys for TCU on Saturday. Which, uh, if Parker, if you're listening to this right now, just turn it off because you're not going to like what I'm about to say. <laughs> you're not. Oh no, gonna I like know what's what coming. Say. This is really this is the anti stats of war. Uh, keys to the game at this point. This is how TCU, I think, can maybe pull off an upset in this game. They have to muddy this thing up. They cannot let Baylor get into a rhythm. They've got to do some unique things on defense to really slow down Charlie Brewer and especially slow down this running game. Uh, but the biggest thing on the offensive side of the ball is that, and it might not save them, I'm not saying that it will, they have to control the clock. They have to minimize possessions. They have to run the ball effectively. When you have a potentially redshirt freshman walk-on quarterback who's going to be taking snaps on Saturday, you have to you have to put him. You just have to minimize his ability to kill you, and that means Shewo and Darius, and maybe you know we put Rager in, in the backfield too a little bit more. Um, this is gonna if TCU wins, it's gonna be because it's an ugly football game, uh, and they pulled out a really low-scoring affair win. Yeah, and I think that, that this is very different than, you know, establishing the run uh, Twitter. This is more along the lines of you cannot give the ball to your opponent because if they have it, they're going to beat you. And it's more about, less about establishing the run, more about, um, like you said, making this an ugly football game. Like, you better, this is Sonny Cumbie's, like, tryout for an XFL job next year. I want every trick play. I want every deep ball. I want Vince McMahon like storming in to steal him off the sidelines at the end of this because it was so clever and so creative. Uh, I mean, I think that's the only chance you have of winning is making this thing just an absolute circus. And I don't know that Gary Patterson will allow that to happen. But shoot, we were talking about this earlier. If we're going to lose, let's go have fun. 
Yeah. You know, like why not just just like make this thing entertaining? If it's not going to be good football, then make it messy and let's just go see what happens. This is the kind of game where I'd be okay with Shabo throwing a pass on fourth down. Yes. Yeah. I I am here for Jalen Rager starting quarterback for TCU. Like I'm a hundred percent here for it. I'd be I'd be down for that. Monty Rager would probably be down for that too at this point. Yeah. I mean, shoot. Like what? Let's let's play. How many different positions can Jalen play? Like, that's, like, I, I am A-OK. We already know the dude's probably the best cornerback in the Big 12. Let's let him take a couple of snaps. Maybe he gets some interceptions. I don't know. I just, I, I think the only good thing that can happen here is just make this thing a hell of a lot of fun. Get fans cheering. Play it like an old Mac game or something. Like, you know, bring it back to, to Conference USA. I mean, just whatever we can possibly do to try to make this thing a little bit more fun let's do it see what happens absolutely absolutely uh melissa let's take one more very quick break and then we will come back we will get into twitter questions and predictions for this upcoming weekend all right we are back and melissa we solicited questions on twitter today which is always fun and entertaining uh, and so we're going to run through some of those right now. We're going to do this quick hit style, though, because I know that you've got somewhere you need to be in just a few minutes. Well, I'm, in, I'm in the car now. I, so, I could know, tell. I, can ramble on forever. I could hear you zipping up your backpack <laughs> and stuff. All right. Yes. Ho- hopefully the, the audio quality was not damaged by the fact that I needed to get on the uh, I think you'll be. I think you'll be fine. All right. So Nick asks, who am I anymore? You're Nick, I believe. This yeah, answer as that. far as we know. Um, Riley, you are Nick, the TCU fan. <clears throat> there we go. Riley asks, what's the probability of Frog saying screw it and running Wild Frog all game on Saturday? I mean, I'm here for it. I don't expect it to happen, but I'm here for sure. it. Uh, Jackie asks, can Justin Rogers decide he wants to stay? The answer to that is yes. Entering yeah. the transfer portal uh, does, not, does not mean that you cannot return to your original team. Uh, you're under no obligation to transfer just because you put your name in the portal. Um, but I think that would indicate that he's taking this decision lightly and he does not strike me as that kind of human being. So I think that he's gone. And he, he is, for all intents and purposes, no longer a horned frog. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing to add there, too, is that he can decide to stay. Um, he, and, and you have to have an offer to leave, too. Like, that's part of it. But at the same token, like, this is a kid who's dealt with injuries. He's not going to come in to play for four more games and realize he's not going to be the guy next year. Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense for him to, to stick around unless he's content competing to be QB2 in the fall, um, which I do not get the sense he is. Nor should he be. Yeah, I agree with that. Alexis wants to know, who do you truly believe will start on Saturday, regardless of GP's recent comments? I said Max Duggan already, and yeah, I'm sticking with I'm it. I'm going to say Downing and stick with that. Drew and Steph both ask why with a lot of whys on the end. Um, mm-hmm. Because God is dead is my answer. Um, wow. Damon, there goes that eternal optimism. Damon asks, is all lost? No. Oh, no. No. Not yet. Not yet. We'll see what happens Saturday. Talk to me Saturday at about 3 o'clock, yeah. and I'll, I'll let you know. Ty wants to know if he should get loose because there's possibility he might play quarterback. Is this Ty Gunn? Because in that instance, yeah, absolutely. I, Ty, come on back. It is not Ty Gunn. Oh. Yeah. Well, shoot. Um, Adam wants to know, is Cumby on the hot seat? Absolutely. His his seat is literally on fire at this point. Yeah. It's, and then he all... And, and no... And, no firemen are coming to put it no, out. And it is just staying on fire. Yes, yeah. and then he it's also he also wants to know if Gary is on the hot seat. No, never. The only person that that makes Gary's seat hot is Gary. I don't think anybody's gonna. I don't think anyone that has any say is gonna try to run him out. That's yeah. That's the thing is like who heats the seat, right? Like if yeah. TCU fans heat the seat, it may be like mildly like you turned it on the lowest level of seat warmer at this point but if the administration heats the seat then he's golden yeah and the administration absolutely heats the seat yes uh chris wants to know what's your favorite breakfast food and favorite breakfast beverage for early morning games well you know normally i like to keep it light on those 11 a.m um and, and stick with nothing heavier than a mimosa, but we may need to bust out the Bloody Marys for this weekend. I am a Bloody Mary bar and, uh, kind of guy. Are you, oh, that's Bloody nice. Mar- I like a mimosa bar. Build your own Bloody Mary. Get a couple breakfast tacos in you. Everything's going to be all right. Yeah. 
God isn't really yeah. dead. Uh, Chris also wants to know, am I the only one who thinks it is okay and normal to have some down seasons when it comes to any sport? It doesn't mean that we have to like it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Chris is absolutely right. Like, there should be a, we should there should be an unsettling feeling around losing. Like, that's a good thing as a fan base. We don't want to be complacent. Then you have to call us Rutgers. But by the same token, you don't want to be the fan base that freaks out when you put together back-to-back losing seasons. I mean, you can look at Alabama before Nick Saban. You can look at Clemson before Dabo Swinney. You can look at Georgia before Kirby Smart. You can look at a lot, and, and now all of those are kind of blue-bloody, but sure. maybe this is not the best comparison. But at the same time, look at Alabama before Bob – or, I mean, uh, uh, Oklahoma before Bob Stoops. Like, it's okay to go through losing periods as long as you can see a plan for the future. And I think like we said earlier, if you're a TCU fan, what you want to know is what's the plan for the future? What changes are made this offseason to correct some of this? And can you see a glimmer of hope in 2020 and beyond? As long as we see that, then all will be quickly forgotten. I mean, we were not in a good place leading up to 2014, and we saw how quickly that changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could also throw into that mix, look at Texas before and after Mac Brown. Anyways, moving on to the next question. Uh, Wide Right Natty Light wants to know, why is there a Batman villain on TCU's basketball team? Uh, If you don't have a Batman villain on your basketball team, are you even really playing basketball? Hey, and and Desmond Bain is, he is here to steal your children's hopes and dreams. I I am on the Desmond Bain averaging 22 points a game revenge tour this year. Yes. I feel it. I see it. I'm speaking it into existence. He is going to be on a one-man wrecking ball. We might not be very good, but Desmond Bain will be an all-conference, potentially all-American level player this fall, and it is going to be fun to watch. First team All-Big 12. Eat I'm them calling up. it. Eat them up. For, Eat them up. First team. Eat them up. First team All-Big 12. Uh, Dixon had a press conference on Tuesday morning before Patterson's availability, and he said, that Desmond Bain is doing some things, distributing the ball to other guys that he has not seen Bain do before. Okay, here's here's what concerns me about that. If this is Desmond Bain is going to have to play point guard, I take everything back and I'm. Scared. Oh no 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 no! Uh, he spoke. He spoke very highly <laughs> of Francisco Farabello, but this is just from his position and from you know at when you look at a player and you want to see growth, this is kind of unexpected growth according to Dixon, in that Bain is not only scoring at will and doing the things that Bain is known for doing, but now he's also getting his teammates involved at another level, which I think is only, well, good, it, only good things. If, if, this, if this means that he averages 2.8, 3.2 assists per game on top of scoring 22, on top of pulling down 6.5 boards or 5.5 boards, uh, you're looking at an all-American kind of season, potentially. Yeah. Um, and this is a year for it. Uh, I was I was listening to Jay Billis this morning, and one of the things he mentioned: there's not that like cut and dried superstar everybody's gonna watch kind of guy. Um, you know, you've got the kid at Memphis, the the center, the lefty center, um, but there's not a huge huge name at Duke. They have a freshman that's that is pretty good, but uh, there there's a chance for a shooting guard and what's normally a really crowded position for a senior shooting guard to kind of break through nationally and and if Bain does what we all think he's capable of then then he could be that guy and that would be great for TCU basketball this team's going to be entertaining as hell yes I don't know if they're going to be any good but they're going to be fun as hell to watch this season for sure I think they're going to surprise some people not that that would be hard to do seeing how everyone is picking them to be last yes yes yeah you yeah that's yeah. all you can do is pleasantly surprise us mm-hmm. which i guess at this point is a bonus yeah for sure the 10 to our friends over at the 1012 podcast the real 1012 podcast mind you yeah ask how realistic <laughs> are stats award cha- wars chances of seeing the field at quarterback this saturday about as likely as ties which is is yeah. more likely than i'm comfortable with frankly sure yeah i mean it, it's at what point do you start pulling people out of the stands yeah. i don't know but if you're looking at a, if you've got a, a broken true freshman, a redshirt freshman, and a guy that's supposed to be medically redshirting, and, and, and somebody gets hurt, yeah, who's the emergency quarterback? I guess it's I guess it's Rager. It's, would be my it's guess. It's got to be Rager. It's got to be Rager. If Dylan Thomas was still healthy, it would be him. Yeah, he could play. Yeah. Do we have any other converted quarterbacks? Uh, any any linebackers or anything? I feel like there's always one of those guys stashed somewhere. If only Ty Summers had one more year of eligibility. If only. Uh, 
Yell MK, our dear friend Yell, uh, did a horrible thing on Twitter today. He asked, would you rather, and then provided us with pictures uh, of TCU God. and Baylor's jerseys. Yeah, I don't, even, I don't even, like, generally I like him. Um, I, I just wanted to punch him in the face through the Twitter machine today. That was just mean. It's not okay. But it did make me laugh, and it's been a hard day, so yeah. that made me laugh. Matt asks, does it get better? Yeah. Always. Sure. Why not? It could get worse, too. It could be worse. If, we're, if things are not great, they could be worse. Um, where did it go? Uh, Bayou City Frog asks, what was the best and worst part about riding with TCU rivals to Stillwater and back? <laughs> oh, Billy and I had a great time. At least I would say Billy and I had a great time. You'd have to ask Billy for the worst parts. Uh, the worst part was that ride home was pretty sad uh, after, after the L, but... Um, we, we enjoyed uh, the Q&A and the AMA and uh, good conversation. It was it was a lot of fun. But Billy's a very safe driver, which is more than I can say than our friend Garrett Padel uh, out in L.A. I drove with him to Oklahoma last year for a basketball game, and I said a lot of Hail Marys in that hour and a half. A lot of Hail Marys. Speaking, Three hours, speaking of Hail Marys, uh, well, sorry, hang on. Bio has another question. He says, what are the chances for a mega podcast with TC Rivals and the Frogcast maybe at year end? And what would you call it? The Purple Menaces of War Frogcast. <laughs> I'm here for it. And I have a feeling Billy and Jeff would be in too. I think, they'd I be, think that would be excellent. I think they'd be in for it. I don't know how Rivals and 24-7 would feel about them doing something together. But I would be down for the Purple Frogs of Warcast. Yeah. purple. I like it. The Purple Frogs of Warcast. I'm here for it. Because then our I whole think, name I think is it needs in it. To be done in person. Our whole name is in it, yeah. and nobody else's whole name is in it. So yeah, and that's really all that matters. Yeah, I think I think uh, that's an in-person thing at High Barbecue, Travis. If you're listening, uh, let's let's get you to host. And uh, I think I think that that's the right way to end this season with many bourbons. Absolutely. And then the last question, Francis asks, "We're a rifle and equestrian school. Do you think any of those awesome ladies can play quarterback?" My response is, <laughs> if we can somehow rig up. Like one of those T-shirt guns to shoot a football, I guarantee you those rifle ladies can play quarterback. I will say this much: I will let those rifle, the women of the rifle team, do whatever they want because they have rifles and they shoot them accurately. They're, so if one of them would like to play quarterback, I would say by all means, yeah, it's all yours. They can cease, consistently beat the military academies in rifle competitions. Yes. So yeah, they can do whatever yeah. they want. I have a question for you, Jamie, okay. that's off topic, but this was the bright spot of my day. Uh, I had a, a student's parent brought some Popeye's chicken sandwiches to us today, and I was gifted a Popeye's chicken sandwich. Have you tried it, and if so, what did you think of it? I have not tried it yet. I uh, have been avoiding Chick-fil-A lately for other reasons. Uh, you can at me on Twitter, and I'll gladly talk to you about it. Um, so I've been doing a lot of Raising Cane's. And I have not brought myself to go wait in that line and risk getting stabbed over the Popeye's chicken sandwich yet. Sure. Um, But I would love to try it. Um, It looks delicious. Let let me tell you this. um, It might be worth getting stabbed for. Okay. It was uh, shout out to Jill. You the real MVP. Uh, That was a sandwich that may have changed my life. Um, I don't know that I'm the same, and I don't know that I can ever go back. Uh, Crispy juicy the pickles were like way better pickles the bun oh my god like it was uh something something special happened today and all of a sudden i forgot about the quarterback troubles and i forgot about playing baylor and and i just i just allowed myself to melt into this popeye's chicken sandwich and i will never be the same person again well i might i might have to go try and get one on the way home i don't even know where a popeye's is frankly so i'm Uh, gonna have to google that first yeah, um, it's worth it. Let's, I, I believe you. I take you're a foodie, right? When it comes to food, I trust your opinion. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go get one and try one. Uh, let's get into Do some it. predictions. There are three other Big Twelve games this week, and three other non-Big Twelve games that are huge, huge, huge on the college football landscape. So let's take a look. Uh, first of all, Texas Tech travels to West Virginia. Who do you have in that game? Uh, I mean, I think that this is a pretty even matchup, um, and since it's it's in Morgantown, I like what Neil Brown is doing. Um, I, I think that West Virginia makes it happen. Uh, yeah, give me West Virginia in this game as well. Uh, their defense especially looks very good down in Waco on Saturday, so or I guess last Thursday, and they've had extra time to prepare. So 
give me the Mountaineers. Texas hosts number 20, Kansas State. Do the Wildcats come away with a win there? Whew, uh, I don't know what Texas's defensive health situation is at this point, but I expect them to bounce back. Um, I, I think the Cats still suffer a little bit of that Oklahoma hangover, and, and Texas gets it done at home. Yeah, Texas says they had a bye week. I believe Caden Stearns is back healthy now, or at least available to play. Um, Brennan Eagles is back, who they were missing against TCU. Talented young wide receiver. Um, and I think Kansas State had the benefit of getting Oklahoma at home. So I agree with you. Give me Texas. Uh, but I would not be shocked if Kansas State wins. And here's a fun fact for you, Melissa. If Kansas State does win, Chris Kleiman will be the first first-year coach in Big 12 history to beat Texas and Oklahoma in the same season. Wow. So that, that's a great fact. That's an interesting stat, in my humble opinion. The last Big 12 let, game. Let me ask you, oh. hold on, let me, let me ask you a quick tangent question. Yeah. One word answer. Is Kansas State good? Yes. Okay. Absolutely they are. That's more than one word, but yes, they are. Um, okay. All right. The last game of the Big 12 slate, number nine, Oklahoma hosts five and three Iowa State. Does Oklahoma bounce back from their disappointing loss last weekend? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I like I like this Iowa State team. I like what they're doing, but I, I think Oklahoma uh, gets it done this weekend for sure. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, other big games around the country, number 13, an undefeated Minnesota hosts number five, an undefeated Penn State. This, in my opinion, should have been game day. You can go to Alabama LSU any time of year, any year. Sure. This should have been game day. Who do you have winning Minnesota at home against number five Penn State? You know, I haven't really watched either of these teams play. Um, I don't know why either of them are good. You know, like I don't know which what they're doing well to, to get them in this position. Um, I think Minnesota's in the middle of a special season. P.J. Fleck just uh, signed another contract extension. They're going to be at home. Uh, I, I'm going to pick Minnesota for no other reason than I think it's kind of a cooler story. So here's the thing, Melissa. Minnesota's 8-0. Their first four games of the year in which they played South Dakota State, Fresno State, Georgia Southern, and Purdue, they won by seven, seven points or less. Okay. And their last four games, which were against Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, and Maryland, I'll say it again, Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, and God. Maryland – They've scored. This is, this is the worst eight games yeah, I've ever heard. They've scored 40 points, 34 points, 42 points, and 52 points against Maryland. Penn State is the first team, I believe, I've, I need to double check this, but Penn State is the first team, maybe the second team that they are playing with a winning record right now. Jeez. And Penn State's got a, a decent resume. I mean, they've beaten Pitt, they've beaten. Iowa, they've beaten Michigan, they've beaten Michigan State. Give me Penn State, and I think it's a blowout. I think Penn yeah, State just a... rolls Minnesota on Saturday. I had no idea how Minnesota got to eight zero. I think TCU would be eight zero against that that schedule. You're you're probably right. To be completely honest wow. with you, you're probably right. That, that might be a midweek music. Looking at all of the undefeated. I'm going to do this. I'm going to write this tonight. I'm going to look at all of the undefeated te teams that are left in college football right now and predict what TCU's record would be on those schedules. I like that idea. All right, folks. That, that'll bring us some happiness. Look for that article on Wednesday afternoon. Um, the last game, uh, non-conference, is what people will undoubtedly call the game of the century, even though this game is... 50% of the time, the game of the century. Number two, Alabama, undefeated hosts, undefeated number one, LSU, and Joe Burrow with pants. Melissa, who wins this game? I still don't know if Joe Burrow is good. Um, he keeps trying to prove me wrong, and I keep not wanting to buy in. Um, but I, I think Alabama is so beat up. This is the year that LSU has to win this game. 
They have to win this game, even though it's on the road. Um, if they want to be taken seriously as a national title contender, you've got to go win in Tuscaloosa. Um, I think Eddie O gets it done. I, 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 I don't believe that with a lot of confidence, but I think that this is the year that, that LSU goes and wins in Tuscaloosa and, and cements themselves as, as the national championship favorite at this point in the season. I agree with you. I said it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and I've stood by it. I think LSU is the best team in the country right now. Um, mm-hmm. They have played one of the hardest schedules in the country. They have beaten a very impressive teams, uh, and I, I agree. I think they go into Tuscaloosa. I think they get the win on Saturday, and that solidifies them as the favorite to win the national championship this year. And if they lose this game, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the SEC. I don't want to hear anything. If, then they just need to bow down because no matter what, if this is a close game, those two teams are going to the playoffs. Yeah. Unless Oklahoma just absolutely bowls people over or Oregon absolutely bowls people over Utah for the next couple of weeks. Like, that is your favorite to – those are two of your four teams, barring something completely unforeseen. Yeah, like LSU losing to Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> right. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it? Uh, and then lastly – TCU, Baylor, 11 o'clock Saturday morning. Who do you got? You know, there's so much stacked against TCU that there's absolutely no reason they should win this game. Um, If they're going to do it, it's going to be because the defense wreaks havoc like they did against Texas. And I don't know that – I I, I don't know if they can do that again at home. Um, I think the Bears get it. Sorry, I I just had to throw up a little bit. Um, You know what? Screw it. No, forget it. Give me TCU, 1913, upset of the century, upset of the week, biggest game of whoever the hell plays quarterback for us. Jalen Rager, 225 yards. Darius Anderson, 120 yards on the ground. And Shewo Olanalua has two passing touchdowns. Write it down. It's happening. <laughs> so, let me get this straight. They, Rager, DA, and Shewo have those kinds of games. And the Frogs only score, score 19, 19 points. points. <laughs> yeah, obviously. So, Jonathan Song you know is still the happen. MVP of the game. Yeah, two touchdowns, a field goal, and a safety. Oh, God. Yeah, no, because we're not going to be able to score, like, with any consistency whatsoever. We're going to rack like, up not, yards. We're going to turn it over in their red zone, like, three times. But we're gonna, we are going to be great between the 20s, and we're oh. going to do just enough, just enough. to. It's going to be a safety seals it. Ennis Gaines, who has disappeared for most of the season, is going to do something bad to Charlie Brewer late in the game that's going to give the Frogs that six-point margin. We're going to hold on late. They're going to salt it away by, by running, uh, 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 like, off-tackle right with Jalen Rager or something just stupid for, for five and a half minutes, effectively. It's going to be awesome. I like your optimism. I certainly It's not. Do. I'm talking myself into this. I don't believe anything I'm saying. It's totally fine. Well, We're going to lose, like, 45 to 3. If, it's okay. It's fine. If Duggan was healthy, I would pick TCU. Uh, if Duggan was healthy, I could see this game very much playing out in similar fashion to the way the Texas game played out where they're up for a big rivalry game at home, the fans show up they get hyped, they execute just well enough to pull off the victory Um, but with that many questions at quarterback and with the possibility of a redshirt freshman walk-on kid going out there and playing (laughs) It's so funny when you say it out loud like it's ridiculous. It's so many precursors to quarterback. Like it's, he's a quarterback that is a walk-on. He's a quarterback that is a redshirt freshman. But I Baylor twenty-four, TCU twenty is what I put in the quick look for my prediction because I do think that TCU will be in this game. I would I be overwhelmingly shocked if TCU wins? No. Do I think TCU has a better than 50% chance of winning? No. Um, I think it's close. I think Charlie Brewer and his leadership and Baylor's ability to execute in pressure situations is just enough to get the road win against TCU, snapping the winning streak, and giving Baylor their first victory since 61-58. to 
find out. Yes, we I will. do. I do want to just to the people listening that jump in on the game thread. Jamie will not be running the game thread this weekend. It will be young Maggie Hale, our new writer. Yes. Please be nice. She is a great human. Let's keep it. She wants to be a she journalist. She's a wonderful she human. She wants to be sports journalist. At TCU. Yeah, support she wants her. to go to school at TCU. Si- support her. her. She is a rock star. Yeah, or her dad will beat you up, and we'll tell him where you yes. live. Yes. I don't know if we can do that or not. We can. But, yes, but, but we do not. This is not need to need to devolve into what the last several game threads have devolved into. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah, we need we need to, to keep things um, a little above board this weekend, especially. You can go back to being terrible for Texas Tech if you want. We're fine with that. But or let's, in let's Melissa's post game recap, either one, you know. It's... Yes. Oh, please. Yeah. You absolutely. You can write all the garbage you want. You can put all of my names in quotations. I don't care. You can tell me to get back in the kitchen like someone did a couple of weeks ago. I don't care. That's fine. I can take it. But I need you guys to be on your best behavior. Because Maggie's fabulous. Treat Maggie with respect, please. Thank you. This yes, has been... Not us. We don't yeah, care. I, <laughs> abuse me all you want. Whatever. This has yeah. been the Frogs War Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please, please, please follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Check out all of the stuff on frogswar.com. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Frogs War Podcast wherever you listen to it. Make sure that you're downloading, downloading, downloading. Download on, like, multiple devices, if you will. That would be lovely. Um, <laughs> everywhere that podcasts are We're found. so needy. I, I love all of you. I love your ears. I love your willingness to listen to this in the midst of a dumb season. Thank you. This is Jamie Plunkett. Let's shock the world. Go Frogs.